Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you to Alice. Just uh, a few things before we plough into uh, the actual talk. Uh, There's loads going on this week. Uh, We will be back tomorrow at half past nine in the morning for our morning worship. We start every week uh, in term time with worship together. So do join us if you are able, 9.30, just for half an hour, and we worship together and hear God's word. We are wandering through Romans at the moment, and it's proving to be really able. Secondly, as you would have heard from Jonathan, we were praying for those who've lost loved ones recently, and uh, I'm hoping you know this already, but if you don't, Irene Scroge's funeral will be this Wednesday, this Wednesday here in this building at 11.30, formation at Seven Hills. Pam Mill's funeral will be the week after we can share those with you. I'd also love you to pray for the pumpkin party, which uh, you saw the video for. I know already some of you have been inviting grandchildren to bring. You've been inviting school friends to come. or hoping that there will be a great celebration of light on what is often a dark. You only need to go into the shops at the moment to see the Halloween stuff. I've stopped taking my children into the shops because it scares them. It's time, time that the church rose up and celebrated the light that has come to the world, not celebrate darkness. So do pray for us on Wednesday as we have a party to celebrate that Jesus really is the light of the world. So, how are you doing with the five graces? This is the first chance I've had to speak into this sermon uh, series, so I'm excited. Uh, You've got me for the next two talks on this, and we've got to a point where we're looking at the five graces in a lot more detail. If you weren't here last week, um, then do grab it on the podcast. It's all there, and uh, you will find it really, really helpful. But before we plow into this, the Bible passage that Alice read to us, I'm going to refer to right at the end of my talk, but it's my life verse. And I love this prayer. I love this prayer for all kinds of reasons. And I'm going to talk about some of those towards the end of my talk. But it begins with saying, I always thank God for you. I always thank God for you. I love you with the person around you just to share one thing that you are thanking God for about somebody else in your church family. Go. Seconds. I always thank God for. I'm hoping the giggles were good rather than laughing at each other for silly things. There was lots of giggling going on. I thank God for you. Remember that as we go through these graces because we have a lot about each other to be thankful for. A lot about each other to be thankful for. So just hold that thought as we plough in. Now, last week, Simon highlighted some of the key points about the first two graces, about the apostle and about the prophet. Neil Cole, who's written an awful lot on this, calls those two graces uh, the start and go grace. They're the ones that start things off. 
The apostle and the prophet are much more visionary, much more able to start new things off. They see something like an opportunity and they speak into that and make something happen within that. So they're the start and go gifts they're described as. And if you were here last week, Simon was asking four questions of each grace. And uh, so we're hopefully, if this all works, here we go. Going to use the same four questions as Simon brought to us last week to ask about the next two that we're going to think about. So what is the key question that each of the persons or people with that grace are asking? What are they guarding? What are they guardian of? What culture are they trying to develop? And what are the blind spots? Simon evolved his sermon from dark side to blind spots last week, if you were here. We're not going into the Star Wars world. It's okay. We're going we're gonna to go with blind spots. Things that, you know, if you were driving along and there's a car coming along next to you, you can't see it in your wing mirror. We've all got blind spots about our lives, and these graces are the same. They've all got some kind of blind spot. So just to highlight uh, what Simon was saying last week, the question that the apostle is asking is, are people being led into their God-given destiny? Do they understand what it means to be part of God's big story? They're the guardians of the truth that the answer is always Jesus. It's not just a Sunday school answer. It's not just on a pencil. Jesus is always the answer, and an apostle is always answering questions and possibilities and opportunities with the answer, Jesus. Therefore, they try to create a culture of mission, of always looking out and encouraging people to be people on mission. But their blind spots, well, I couldn't fit them in on my slide because there's so many. No, I'm joking. There's a few that we looked at. They're very driven, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. They're very impatient. They want to get it done now. And that's often led to, uh, to apostles going on it alone. A lot of apostles haven't felt that they can be within a kind of environment of community. And therefore, they've gone off and led things on their own and got other people working for them. Not a bad thing necessarily, but going on our own is not the way of Jesus. He asks us to do it together. So listen to the sermon from last week. Let's think about the prophets. He also talked about this. And he said that this grace is asking the question, are people listening to and obeying God? Are they listening to what God is saying and are they going to do it? And that's an important question for all disciples, but it's one that the prophet is especially attuned to. And therefore, they're the guardian of the truth that we have a covenant relationship with God They are very keyed into the hearing God's voice and encouraging people to have a covenant relationship with that voice that is God. So therefore, they develop a culture of listening and obeying. Some of our prophets met this morning to listen to God and to hear what he had to say for us, and we'll share some of that later on. Of course, they've got blind spots. Of course, they find things challenging. And those are that they can be critical and frustrated. They can really, really, really get frustrated when they've heard from God and nobody else is listening to that voice. It's a blind spot that's particularly challenging for prophets. So that's a little recap of last week, but do have a listen. Simon said a heck of a lot more than I've got time to say in this. 
But we're going to think today about the second category. So you've got the start and go, the apostle and the prophet. But you've also got the stay and grow, the stay and grow. So we're going to today think about the shepherd and the teacher. And then in two weeks' time, we're going to think about the evangelist the shepherd and the teacher. And these are stay and grow gifts uh, that turn the vision and what's been started into something that will last longer than a couple of months. They're the ones who turn a vision or a prophecy or a plan or a dream into something that is sustainable and fruitful. The stay and grow. Now, come on. Neil Cole calls these the established gifts. A few weeks ago, Simon uh, brought to us uh, how Jesus used these graces. And Jesus uh, was amazing because he had all of these graces very present in his ministry. But we can see that he talked about the evangelist being the one who sought the lost, the seek and save the lost. The shepherd, Jesus said, was the one who nurtured. And the teacher was the one who illuminated the truth. These graces help us to stay and to grow. Neil Cole sums the whole thing up by saying this, and being a builder's daughter, I understand it. The EST function, so the evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, function as the construction team that builds up the body for ongoing health, growth, and spiritual direction. They establish things. Now, being a builder's daughter, I know that establishing things takes a long time because they do everybody else's jobs before they do your own. But they establish things. They turn what is dreamt by the architect into something significant. And the construction team are the ones that keep the health of the body going and keep the growth and the spiritual direction really, really strong. These graces are utterly, utterly important if we're going to see God's work in his kingdom continue from year on year on year. So let's bundle in. Let's think about the shepherd. What is the key question that shepherds ask? It's a really simple question. Is the flock strong, maturing, healthing, and searching for the lost sheep? It's a simple question But it's a really, really challenging one. In John 10, we read that Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then if you uh, go into Acts, this is an amazing passage. So this is the, the, the early church, and it says, Keep watch over yourselves and all of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought with his own blood. 
Shepherds are the first to understand that God is a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's created all of us in his image, and therefore we need to be connected so strongly to one another. The Bible says as brothers and sisters in Christ, with a Father God, that we are so close to one another. And a shepherd sees the flock through those eyes. He sees the flock, or she sees the flock, in a loving and compassionate and wonderful way. And they long to create environments where those relationships flourish. And so the key question that they're asking is, can we create an environment where people are growing, where people are maturing, where people are loved and people feel like they belong? I can see you already thinking of some of the shepherds that you know. We'll come to that in a moment. But the shepherds are asking a number of questions, and I've got three Ps to try and make it memorable. The shepherds provide. You'll instantly recognize a shepherd. They're the ones who ask how you are. There's not many people in the world who ask how you are. But more than that, they'll stop and they'll listen rather than answer before you get the chance to answer yourself. They'll care. They're the ones who bring the flowers, who buy the beers, who are always putting themselves last. They're the ones who just know what's going on, somehow. They're the ones who are always asking about how people are. But a really important point is that a shepherd isn't somebody who's a doormat that we walk over. They are somebody who always points people to the provider, the real provider, that is God. So they provide an opportunity to be pointed to the true provider. A shepherd tends his sheep by leading them to quiet waters. He doesn't dig the pit himself and make a river. He leads them to the place where there is quiet waters. The spiritual and physical health of another person isn't the responsibility of a shepherd. It is God's responsibility and that person's. But a shepherd is always going to be bringing somebody in need back to the provider that is our Father in heaven. But a shepherd also protects we can talk about what they guard in a moment. But they protect the flock. The shepherds are the prayers, the real prayers. You know the ones that you really want to be praying for you? You phone them up and say, I know you're going to pray, so could you pray? They're the ones who will fight the spiritual battles. Often prophets and shepherds are very linked because they're the ones that are going to really, really pray God's kingdom into somebody's lives. They're the ones who will be fighting the spiritual battles. And they protect the flock by trying to keep peace and unity and harmony amongst people. They protect the flock if someone comes in trying to hurt it in one way or another. Jesus talked a lot about wolves, didn't he? Shepherds spot the wolves and they work hard to keep peace. But another P... Shepherds are really precious in a really good way. They're like the gold nuggets within our community because they feel things like most other people don't. 
I have a daughter, age nine, who is, a, who is definitely a shepherd. Let me tell you what uh, I mean. And we knew this from quite a young age because if somebody else got hurt, fell over in the playground or whatever, she would feel that pain. Beyond any of her other friends, she would be the one taking that person to the first aid room and I'd hear about it all evening and then we'd pray with, about them at bedtime. They might only have a little graze, but that, that's what she did. Even as I was writing this talk on Thursday night, I had a little knock on my office door. She poked her head around and she said, Mommy, how's Eric? She knew Eric was in hospital. She'd been praying for him this week. And I was writing this at that very moment. And it was just God's wink of, yeah, you know what she is. She's a shepherd. (laughs) She's a shepherd. She is very precious because she feels things beyond what other people feel. Our shepherds in this community feel things beyond what many of us do. If someone is hurting, they feel that hurt. If someone is sad, then they're there. If if someone's led to pray, then they want to pray too. Shepherds are so precious because they completely understand other people. What are the guardians of, though? This is massively linked. My computer's being very unresponsive to this, sorry. So the shepherds are guardians, therefore, of the unity of the body. You see, because they want to protect and because they want to provide and because they feel things so deeply, they're quite adamant that nobody's going to mess with their flock. And that's a good thing. We belong to one another. In fact, uh, it says here, how good and pleasant is it for God's people to live in unity? I think shepherds don't think it's good and pleasant. I think they think it's so important that they will do everything they possibly can. Good and pleasant doesn't feel quite strong enough for me. They long that God's people work well together, not just as a team, but as a family. They long that we are a praying and loving and united community. Disunity is heartbreaking for a shepherd. If someone is unhappy or in pain, they feel it strongly. But they also, therefore, develop a culture that's around that. So the culture that they're longing to create, the body experience they're longing to create, is a place of community and of teamwork. Everybody's got a part to play. Everybody is part of this family. A shepherd feels that and will want to create an environment that recognizes that. So in 1 Corinthians 12, that famous bit about how the fact we've all got a part to play, eyes, noses, no belly buttons, all of that, it it says this at the end, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that are lacked in it. There should be no division in the body, but that its part should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That is the, like, bee's knees for a shepherd. They recognize that everybody is part of the family. Everybody's got a part to play. And they long to create a culture where everybody has the opportunity to be part of that community. Of course, though, there are some blind spots. And because shepherds feel things, these blind spots can become quite overwhelming. Firstly, shepherds can very quickly become overstretched. 
We need more shepherds in our community than any of the other graces. Why do I say that? I say that because shepherding is a time-consuming, emotional, and supportive role. And there's only so many people one person can shepherd. Jesus managed to shepherd 12 really, really well. And you could say the 72 really, really well too. But beyond that, the crowds he spoke to, he engaged with, he healed in whatever way he could, but he didn't walk that long life journey with everybody. Shepherds can be really stretched because this role is so significant to people. Think for a moment. When you were sick, who brought you the soup? Who phoned up to check you weren't there on a Sunday? Oh, I've noticed they're not there. Shepherds are so important, but it's a time-consuming job. And we have many shepherds in this community. I'm looking at so many around the place. But we need all of our shepherds in this place to feel able, to feel supported, and to feel like their part is so significant, because it so is. But we also don't want any shepherds to be overstretched. Because if you remember the three Ps, we're never asking shepherds, or God is never asking a shepherd, to be overstretched, because we've always got to point to the provider. We've always got to point to the protector, not take all the shepherding duties on ourselves because we've got a good shepherd. And so shepherds can feel overstretched when they don't take things to God or when the needs are so big. The shepherding role is one that we need to release and use in this church, but it's also one that we need to be very wise about. Another blind spot, though, is that some shepherds are a little bit skeptical of the other graces. Bear with me for a moment. If unity, being united together, is a really important thing that you're going to guard, then when another grace comes along and says, you're not doing it right, or I think we should do it this way, or an evangelist comes along and says, we're spending too much time in, we should be out, many things, the the, the pastoring gifts, the shepherding graces, really feel that. Because it might rock the boat. And therefore, they can become skeptical of the other graces, which can lead to the next thing that's a bit of a blind spot. They can then spend more time trying to peacekeep rather than peacemake. Peacekeeping is needed sometimes, absolutely. But peacekeeping is about fighting fires. Peacekeeping is about trying to keep people happy. Peacekeeping is about trying uh, to make sure everybody is okay. In your own family, that's a challenge. In a family this big, wow. We need to be a community that isn't about peacekeeping in the long term, but is about peacemaking. It's very different. Peacemaking is finding a place where differences, challenges, and even those things that hurt can be talked about, engaged with, and a place of peace can be found. We might not end up agreeing with each other, but we can live in peace together. That's what peace 
making is about. It's really different to peacekeeping. And we sometimes do need a bit of peacekeeping, don't get me wrong. But long term, for the flourishing of the body, we need peacekeepers. And the shepherd can struggle because they're so longing for unity that they think that the peacekeeping solution is just the best way to go. But for the long-term health of us as a community, we need to also embrace the peacemaking. And I guess the final thing I want to say, there are many other blind spots we could go down with all of these graces, but one is that shepherds can sometimes get hurt. When they feel things, Actually, it can hurt sometimes. Or when you've looked after someone for a long time and they die, perhaps that hurts. Or when you've been caring for somebody and they don't want anything more to do with you, that can hurt. Or when somebody's ill health continues, continues, that can really hurt too. Being a shepherd can mean that it hurts sometimes. For a period of time, I had a book by my bed And at night time, I would write down the pain of other people that I'd experienced in the day. You might imagine in this job, sometimes I see a lot of people with a lot of pain. And I would find I wasn't going to sleep very well because I was worrying about that person. I wrote it down and it was my way of saying to Jesus, this hurts a bit. I've I've carried a burden today for other people. Will you have it now? I can't do this anymore. I need you. I need you to take it. It worked for a period, and it was a way of me saying, God, your burden is easy, your yoke is light, I can do this again tomorrow, because I'm giving it to you. Some of us, though, have been shepherded recently, haven't we? Uh, We've had somebody do something else for us. We've had someone look after us when we were sick, or, or whatever that is. We've been shepherded for. I'd love to encourage everyone today to say thank you to the shepherds in their life. It's important that as we recognize that this shepherding shepherding grace is so important, but it can be hard that we as God's people say thank you to the shepherds in our lives. Perhaps you want to send them a card. Perhaps you want to take them for a coffee. Whatever it is, just appreciating a shepherd means so much to them. Just by saying thank you, it means so much. I spent some time with a friend this week who isn't a Christian, and she's having a really hard time. We were walking around the zoo with our kids and uh, chatting away. And she said to me, Claire, you always make me smile, even when I'm in a bad place. And I thought, well, I must do bad jokes or something. And she said, no. She said, there are very few people in my world who actually ask me how I am. What we have in this community is really special, friends. I think sometimes when you're in such a lovely family, you only see the bad things. I really want us to encourage one another that actually what we have here is really special. Lots of people don't have this kind of community. And so let's be grateful for one another. Let's thank the shepherds. And let's say, yeah, do you know what? This is significant. This is special. I'm going to move on to the teachers in just a second. But shepherds, we need you. We need to release our shepherds because it's vital for us in our health and maturity. A true shepherd leads the flock to the good shepherd, where health, healing, wholeness, and the riches of heaven are found. If you're a shepherd sat here, know we love you and we need you. Teachers. 
Now, sometimes these two gifts are bundled together. These graces can be put together. And uh, historically, um, the person who ran a church would be having the shepherding and the teaching responsibilities. Simon talked about this right at the beginning of this uh, sermon series. So do go back there. But the Bible talks about them being very separate graces. So what's the key question a teacher's asking? How can I help others engage with God's word and point people in the direction of his ways? Colossians 3 verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The key question that a teacher is asking is how how can I help others and myself grow in knowledge and love of Scripture? And so we had three Ps for the, uh, the shepherds. I've got things about love for the teachers. And why? Because teachers are passionate lovers of God's word and truth. They'll read God's word. They'll read books about God's word. They'll read articles about God's word. They'll go and talk to people to learn about God's word. They love a good talk. Teachers love God's word. But also, teachers love trying to help other people, as well as themselves, understand God's truths better. They love it when someone learns something new and engages with a truth that changes them somehow. The Bible talks a lot about this. I don't think I've got these on the screen, but for example, in uh, Philippians 3 verse 15, it says, All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, then rejoice. It's basically saying when you learn something new from someone, that's a great joy and it will make you mature. Uh, teachers absolutely love learning new things and sharing those new things with another. Or 2 Timothy 3:16 or 17 must be a teacher's favorite verse. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've been talking for a while. It's your turn. I'd like you to share with the person next to you your worst teacher at school and why. Who was the worst teacher and why? You were thinking I was going to go good teachers. I, oh, that's just far too easy. Let's go worst teacher. They didn't have one. Who said they didn't have a worst teacher? Oh... Okay, the rest of you did. Okay, now with that person again, I'd like you to share a Bible teacher that you have heard that just made you go, wow, and why? If you all say Simon, I might have to hit you. (laughs) Just saying. A good Bible teacher and why. Go. I love the second row. I'm guessing we could probably talk about this all day. Do continue these conversations into the week in your small group or in your community group, whatever uh, you can do. But we can probably all think of good communicators, good people who taught you something about Jesus. 
But I bet we can all think of the bad ones too. Uh, when I was growing up in an unnamed Baptist church in Bath, uh, we used to see how many fruit pastels we could eat before the minister finished. Um, once we managed three packets each. So, teachers love trying to help people understand God's truth better. They come alive. We used to have a philosophy teacher at Bible college. He would jump on the table and dance around. I'm not really sure why, but he got so excited about teaching us uh, truth and teaching us, and he hated it if we just sat there looking bored. Um, He even installed a coffee machine in his classroom to wake us up. So that was kind of him. But there's another thing that teachers love uh, to do, and they love to bring people back to God's truth. Opinions are not a teacher's friend. They love to wrestle with facts. They love to engage with church history and see what has been written since the time of Scripture. Black and white is way more comfortable than grey for a teacher. Teachers in our church community are always brilliant at bringing us back to what the Word of God says because they love it and they're grappling with it and they're wanting to understand it really, really well. And so that leads us on to what uh, they are guarding. And they are guarding the true doctrine of God. Teachers spend their time and their energy battling with the big questions about the Bible in such a deep way that they can simply explain it to others. They feel the responsibility for speaking out and leading from Scripture. For a teacher, every mistake or wrong direction comes from a misunderstanding of God's word or truth. I strongly believe if we understand God's word better, then we would be much healthier and much more mature as Christians. And we can only say amen to that. We need to love God's word. And the teachers in our community have got the grace to help us grapple with God's word in a new way and in a way that shapes our world. 2 Corinthians says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. A teacher demolishes other arguments that stand against the word of God and speaks the truth. And therefore, the culture they're trying to create is one of learning. At school now, they talk about having a learning mindset. I'm not really sure what that means, but my kids keep telling me about it. And it's about not just being taught facts, but about creating in those who are learners a hunger to learn more. Teachers do that. A good teacher will not only teach you something, but will leave you hanging for a little bit more information and hopefully point you in the right direction of discovering that. Exodus 18.20 says, teach them his, God's decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. A good teacher not only teaches with their mouths, they teach with their lives. 
I'm sure we can all think of teachers we've respected whose lives don't match up to what they teach. I was shocked when I discovered that my biology teacher smoked. (laughs) Teachers try to create a culture of learning for all believers. And they do that with their words and they do that with their lives. And of course, they've got some blind spots. Bear with me. They're frustrated when people don't want to hear. That's hard, isn't it? They've learned something new, and they're really, really hoping that other people might want to know it too. They love to be in a culture where they learn something new, and then they've got a place to share it with others. And we as the body of Christ are richer because of that. But then when somebody doesn't want to learn, that's a frustration. That's a frustration, a few years ago, we uh, lived next to a, uh, a gentleman who was a professor in 16th century pews. The day I told him my job, he thought I might be interested in 16th century pews. And in fairness, for a while I was. He had some really interesting things to say. But then, after a while, he would notice I'd left the house, was walking to town, and would run down after the road to tell me the next bit of information he had about 16th century pews. For a while, I enjoyed the conversations we had. Um, But one day, I was walking to town, and I might have said, can we talk about something else? And I didn't see him for a while after that and thought I'd offended him. So then I walked to town with him one day and I thought, you know, I've got to say, I said, I'm really sorry if I offended you. Um, I am quite interested in what you're doing, but it is a very specialist subject and I think I know enough for my interest levels. He was really gracious and turned around and he said, I just have to remember that because I went to France just to look for that 16th century pew I hadn't seen before, it doesn't mean everybody else does. And I'm really grateful for the times you do want to learn, and I'm really understanding of the times you don't. What a gracious teacher. What a gracious teacher. But that's not an easy place to get to as a teacher, because you feel like you really need to pass this information on, and sometimes you do. And sometimes listeners don't listen, and they should do which I guess is my next frustration uh, that I could share about teachers, is that some people don't want to learn. They don't want to learn. Um, I'm not sure if I completely agree with that. I think everybody's interested enough somewhere. And we do need to find better ways to communicate and share as teachers. I agree with that. But some people don't want to learn. They don't want to take what they're hearing and put it into action. Simon cheekily asked sometimes, have you done what I said last week? And a few of us raised hands because we think we should. But actually it's a frustration, isn't it, that we could probably hear the same sermon over and over again and still not get it right. And it's not because our hearts don't want to learn, it's because actually sometimes we just can't, or we don't want to, or it's too hard, or we can't move into that place yet. I could say loads more about that. I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to. Uh, But another thing that's a blind spot for a a teacher is that just like the shepherd, they can find the other graces quite challenging because they believe, rightly so, that the word of God is the prime authority of God and the way he speaks. They cannot see uh, some of the other ways that God speaks. Teachers and prophets can sometimes be an interesting combination. 
especially when they've both got those graces. But actually, we have to accept that God speaks in the way that God chooses to speak, sometimes in silence, sometimes in nature, sometimes through the mouth of a donkey. Teachers help us always go back to God, but they must also be open-minded to how God can speak in other ways. The final blind spot that I want to bring about teachers is that it can depend on them. If I only had read more books, if I only had a few more letters after my name, I should have gone to that lecture. I've written these books. It, it, It can become very much about what they know rather than who they know. And so teachers have to balance this, yes, I know a lot, but I also know the God who is a mystery and knows absolutely everything. Accolades can be used for God's glory and should be, but at the end of the day, a relationship with him alone is where our wisdom comes from. God's wisdom is found in Scripture, but only some of it's revealed to all of us. So, teachers, we need you. You bring life, you bring truth, and you bring knowledge into the family of God. And therefore, we need you to flourish and to grow in in maturity. If the aim of a disciple is to move from milk to solid food, we definitely need the teachers to help us do that. And so if you're a teacher, we love you. We need you. What about the evangelists? Well, you'll be pleased to know. I'm not going to talk about them this week. I'm going to talk about them on Remembrance Sunday in two weeks' time. And you may say why. That's an odd thing to bring together. But in a good East Enders cliffhanger, there is a link. But I'm not going to tell you until two weeks' time. So come back. I said I was going to come back to Colossians. That prayer is so powerful. That prayer is so rich. It says that we are continually asking God to fill us, all of us, with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That encompasses a lot of what the apostle tries to do and the teacher tries to do by leading people to Jesus through his word. But also, it talks about living a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in every, in every way. That's what a prophet tries to get us to do, to listen to God so that we can obey what he is saying. The shepherd is in there too, because actually, he, the shepherd is encouraging all of us to live a life worthy of the Lord, to flourish and grow in our relationships with one another. And then, of course, when I talk about evangelists in two weeks' time, we'll be talking about bearing good fruit. I'd love us this week to pray this prayer for one another, because whatever grace we have been given, and remember, you are the grace to this church that's been given by God. We need to be praying for one another and really asking God to fill each of us uh, with the knowledge of his will. Really asking God that we may live a life worthy of him and to know him intimately and know his voice. So my challenge to you this week is to take these verses in Colossians 1 and to daily pray them for somebody in your pew right now. 
Have a look around. Who were you thanking God for today? Have a look. And this week, let's pray for one another. Because God has given us all graces. Some of them are hard. Some of them are a heavy burden to carry at this moment. They're all a gift from God. Let's pray for one another as we do. So let's pray together and then John's going to lead us. Lord, you've made us all different. (laughs) And you've given us all graces. And as we begin to unpack what these uh, graces are, we pray this prayer for one another. We ask you, God, that you will fill us all with the knowledge of your will. That you will give us wisdom and understanding by your spirit. And we pray for each of us that you will help us this week to live a life that's worthy of you, pleasing you in every way, so that we may bear fruit in everything we do. And may you strengthen us with all power, and may we be given great endurance and patience, and may we live a life that joyfully gives thanks to the Father. It was about trusting It was about trusting in God to open ourselves up and just ask, Lord Jesus, is there anything you want to say to me today?